0: Well, I heard you applaud and I appreciate that. Thank you very much. Uh, I just like the fact that I get to see you guys face to face. Human beings face to face. Isn't that good? I mean, come on. I love it. I love it. Look, look, I'm looking around town, right? And I don't know what town you live in, but I'm looking around town and I'm seeing like, you know, store parking lots packed out. You see what I'm saying? I'm seeing people packing into places all over the place, and I'm like, look, it's time for people to pack back into God's house and worship him and lift his name up. Amen? So come on. I love that. I love it. Now, with that said... If you're worshiping with us online, I do want you to know we love you. Uh, We're glad that you're with us. You know, we were doing online stuff way before the pandemic ever happened. We're one church and now hundreds of locations. We used to be one church in three locations. Uh, You know, so I got to say hello to our North Platte campus and our Ogallala campus who's worshiping with us live right now. Now, look, if you're a new lifer and uh, you've been around here for a while, then maybe you've heard that we've got a pastoral change that's happening at our Ogallala campus. If you're a guest here with us, Look, we've got a pastoral change that's happening at our Ogallala campus. Um, Just want to bring you guys all up to speed, get everybody on the same page. And so we've been, we've been, we love, man, Trevor and Jordan out there have been rock stars, guys. They have done an incredible job being the launch pastors and helping us get that campus off the ground. And God's got the next couple for us on who's going to come in. And take the baton of leadership and go from there. Now, before we find that person, we have an interim pastor, uh, Robin and Dawn Storer. All right, They're from our North Platte campus, ordained ministers. They've been with us since day one, since planting that campus five and a half years ago or whatever that is. Maybe six years. Uh, These guys are fantastic. They've been in full-time ministry for decades of their life. And they're going to go out to our Ogallala campus. And they're going to love on you. They're going to be a part of your life. And they're there. Actually, today. They're there today. So if you see them, then say hello to them. So we're excited for these guys. We love these guys. Thanks so much, guys, for serving on our team, being a part of our church. I love that. Now, with that said, we do believe at New Life, right, that it's essential that we're a part of raising up the next generation to be a part of full-time ministry. We believe God's still calling young people, right, to, uh, to full-time ministry. We want to be a part of helping them find that place, being raised up and being engaged. That's the kind of church that we are. So we had, a, we had a, um, another resume come in for our campus pastor position in Ogallala. And I thought, I want to show you the sermon because it was from my grandson, Bear, who's three years old. My grandson Bear sent a sermon so that, you know, Paw could look at it and see, is this going to be good enough so that he could be the next campus pastor in Ogallala? I want you to watch this with me, okay? I want you to watch this from a three-year-old, but really pay attention. Listen closely. We'll turn the volume up as loud as we can. But uh, listen closely when his sister comes in and interrupts the message. So pay attention. Take a look at this. Bad has En de laatste Bye! A This is a Bible of God. And on this sponsor? source, science. I got it. <laughs> <laughs> what, in, what in the world? So first, first couple of thoughts of feedback. Um, I'm not sure about how he handles conflict management. Um, we're going to have to talk about the fact that his Bible, he's like, this is the word of God and of Spinosaurus. If you saw the book, it was a dinosaur book. He was, he was preaching the sermon from a dinosaur book. No, By the way, if you didn't know what he was saying, you know, in the sermon, neither does his parents. That's always a good sign. So we're not sure if he's prophesying, speaking in tongues. We have no idea what he's doing, okay? Uh, all we know is that his intent was to preach a sermon. So we're going to continue to raise up the next generation and get these, guys, get these guys ready to go. Come on, everybody. Man, what in the world? That's good stuff. That's good stuff. All right. So, look, I guarantee, well, I can't actually do that. I, I, I hope to promise you that this sermon that you're going to hear now today makes more sense than the sermon you just heard. Okay, I'm hoping that that is the case. I'm hoping that you walk out with a little bit more than what you got from that one. Uh, if not, then you can rewatch that one again. I think it's probably online someplace. <laughs> Daniel chapter 3, if this is your first uh, week with us, we are going through a series we entitled The God of the Impossible. God of the Impossible is a look at the book of Daniel, and we're going to be tackling the first six chapters. We're in chapter 3 today, and we're just basically looking at this God- who does things that are impossible to man. They seem like there's no way any of this could ever happen. We serve a God who speaks and the earth is created, right? You see what I'm saying? like We serve a God who can work things out in a way that you are like, I can't figure it out. But God, in his infinite wisdom and all of his creativity and the fact that he is God, he has the authority and ability to do it all, amen? And so today what we're going to be looking at is this thought. This is the focus. How do you trust the God of the impossible when you walk through the fires of life? Let me say that one more time. How do you trust the God of the impossible when you walk through the fires of life? The fires. What what are the fires of life? The fires of life are those moments that are the most challenging for you. They are the moments that you're wondering to yourself, like, I don't even know what my next move is. I don't know what the best decision is. These fires, these moments of uncertainty where you're you're like, I don't even see like the light at the end of the tunnel. What's going on here? All of us have walked through the fires of life, okay? And uh, we're all going to walk through more of them to come in the future. In fact, we are all currently right now as a nation wrapped up in what I'm just referring to as one of these fires of life. We're in a very difficult situation in our nation right now. And there's incredible racial divide that is taking place all across our nation. And it's, it's here in our own communities. And it's not something we can just turn a blind eye to, but it's something that we have to have a Christ-centered response to because we are all in this together, by the way. There's nothing about what's going on that's an us versus them and if that's even anywhere near in your heart, what I'm going to challenge you with today is this, just to love me, right? I'm your pastor. I'm not trying to step on your toes, but I am trying to biblically help guide you in a season, and in a time period that is very, very difficult, okay? So in this moment, it's not a us versus them, it's a we, and we as a nation, we've got a problem. We've got, a, we've got something that's bigger than any one person, but it's going to take all of us to solve it. You know, when I was watching TV and I saw what took place in Minneapolis, and regardless of what the rest of the story is, this, what I watched there, there was something about, you know, watching that that started to stir something really in my heart as I was watching another human being, you know, uh, be, be forcefully and brutally uh, taken out of this world. There was something about that that I just, I couldn't wrap my my mind around. I couldn't get away from it because I was saying, look, it doesn't matter what his skin color was. It doesn't matter what his neighborhood was. George Floyd was a human being, a human being who was created by God, loved by God. And what I want you to really remember today is this, never forget this, okay, in the midst of the fire and the crisis that's going on. George Floyd, like every other human being, Jesus Christ died for him just as if he was dying for you. And there is no difference in this world. When God looks at humanity, God doesn't see race. God doesn't see skin color. God doesn't see ethnicity. God doesn't see nations. God doesn't see people that speak in different languages. God sees humanity, sees his creation, and he goes, I died for you. I love you. It was for all of you. And there is no, there is no separation when it comes to the love of God. As I watched this, though, I have to to admit to you that there was this, like, this this sickening kind of overwhelming feeling that came up that brought tears to my eyes as I was watching because I was thinking to myself, like, I could easily be the one right now who's getting the phone call from one of my two black son-in-laws who you know, could have been potentially in a George Floyd scenario. And then my mind quickly raced to my grandchildren who are being raised in a mixed family. And what will their future be? And my heart, my heart was going out. And my, my, I was finding myself praying. I was finding myself coming to this place where I was like, God, what is it that you want? What, what can I do? I'm just one man. What can I do? And at this moment, I'm just wanting to give you just a few of those thoughts because I really believe that our response should be one of comfort, comforting those in pain. Comfort those in pain. That's what I believe Jesus really calls us to do. And by the way, I just want you to know something. If you want to be a part of the solution, you're never going to find the solution to what we're dealing with in our our society and in our nation today from, an answer's not going to come from one of our national news media's. I don't care which one it is you watch. The answer's not coming from there. The answer's not coming from some radio station that you're listening to. The answer's not coming from some newspaper that you're reading. The only way we're going to find the answer of truly being compassionate people that are, have the mind of Christ, that when we look at our world, we see humanity. We see we. The only way we're gonna get there, guys, is by getting back to God's word. And I think Jesus gave us a very, very, Like clear understanding of what we're supposed to be doing in moments like this to show true compassion in the midst of a fire, in the midst of an uncertain moment. I take you back to Luke chapter 10 is where I take you. What's in Luke chapter 10, you ask? That's where Jesus gave a very clear description of what it looks like to love those who are hurting right now. Because it easily could have the tables flipped and you could be the one that's hurting. And what did Jesus say? He gave us this. He gave us the Good Samaritan principle. The Good Samaritan principle, which basically is this. He goes, look, if you see someone, you see someone hurting, what is our response to be? Our response to be is this, to show up with love and compassion and empathy and to do whatever we can. If we're given the opportunity, do whatever you can to love people. We'll love people like who? Love people that look like me? that sound like me, that have the same culture as me. No, that's not what Jesus was driving home. Jesus was going, that's the easy thing to do. What I'm challenging you to do is this, to love those who are hurting that look different than you. Right, that live in different neighborhoods than you. That speak different languages than you. That come from different cultures than you. If you wanna be Christ-like in this moment, then we have to take on the mantle of Christ to be more true, true lovers of people. That's who Jesus was. Jesus didn't look at the skin color of a person when he died on the cross. He didn't look at what language they spoke when he died on the cross. He didn't die on the cross for some people. He died on the cross for us all. And the truth is this. I believe it's a fire. I believe it's a a moment that we're all going to have to walk through. And I believe that God can and God will heal this racial divide. I believe that. I want that in my heart. I believe it because I believe I'm serving a God that nothing is impossible for him. That's just what I believe. So in the midst of this fire, in the midst of this uncertain moment, where it's hard to see the light at the end of the tunnel, what should you and me be doing? First, we should be going to God with our own hearts, and we should be repenting to God. We should be reconciling, and we should be asking God, God, will you Will you rewire, will you reprogram the way that I see this world? I need to see this world a little bit more like you do and a lot less like the media does. I need to see this world a lot more like you do and a lot less like the way I was raised. I need to see the world a lot more like you do, which is accurate, than just what my perceived idea is. Guys, that's what we have to get to. We've got to get back to that spot you got to run to him first instead of all these other things that we're trying to run to. Because these other things don't have the solutions in them. We have to get away from the us and them mentality and we have to get back to the we. We are humans in God's sight, loved by an almighty creator. That's who we are. That's what we have to get back to. And then we also have to hang on like we're desperate for it. Like if I let go of this, my life ends. We have to hang on to this. I'm going to trust God. and I'm going to have a faith in God that the God of the impossible can work a miracle in the midst of this fire. And I believe that. So I get it. Like this is a very volatile situation where one word can be taken out of context and spoken wrong. And I just want, I want to say this in my last words to you. Look, if there's something I said offended you, my intent was not to offend anybody in here. My intent was just to help you as a pastor, bring you back to what I think is a centerpiece that only you can control. Because see, right now, all you control is this. You can't control any of this, but you can control this. And you gotta get, we all have to get back to what the heart of Jesus is for humanity. When you do that, freedom actually comes to us all. But if we don't get back there, then you will forever be part of the problem. In all things, by the way, not just in this issue. So let's all strive to be those people, because in the midst of this fire, in the midst of this uncertain moment, God's got something for us. Just like he sent Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These guys were in the midst of A fiery situation. Now, look, if you grew up in church, you know. Oh, Daniel chapter 3, it's about the furnace, right? It's a fiery fiery moment. So I I get that. But these guys, they were sent there because Nebuchadnezzar, the king, he had had erected this 90-foot statue. And he was demanding that all of his leaders, all of his governors, all of his mayors from every race, language, and nation was to come and to bow down to this thing and worship it. And if they weren't, he was going to kill them. I mean, this guy was off the charts crazy, okay? And this is, this is who he was. So he brings them all together, the music plays, and everyone's supposed to bow down. There's three young Jewish boys that don't bow down. These three Jewish guys, they came into Babylon with Daniel, okay? So Daniel chapter 3 has nothing to do with Daniel, but it has everything to do with his three friends. But these three guys were just like Daniel, So these three Jewish guys, they got besieged in Jerusalem, got ripped out of their home country, got sent to Babylon, and got trained to live in a a way that would be serving the king. They're now going, we're not bowing down to your God. I don't care what he looks like. I don't care what you call him. We serve the king of kings and the Lord of lords, and we're not bowing down to your 90 foot statue. When the king heard this, guess what the king was? Furious, right? He was furious furious. And he said, get those three young Jewish boys and bring them right before me right now. So he gets them, and off they come. And this is what he says to them in Daniel chapter 3, verse 15. I'll give you one more chance, guys, to bow down and worship the statue I've made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse, okay, here it comes, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. Now watch this next sentence. And then, if you're thrown in in this you know incredible furnace and then what God will be able to rescue you from my power watch out people because when people of authority and leaders and you know moms and dads say it's impossible for God to do anything to rescue us from the situation I'm telling you it's in moments like that watch out because that's when God has the ability to shine the greatest when man says God can't do it that's when God goes oh yeah (laughs) really You, you say I can't do that you say that your fire is greater than me. Are you serious? Are you serious? Do you understand I spoke and created the universe? So when man says it's impossible, watch out, because God's getting ready to do something that is profound. And I'm telling you, in this passage, that's what happens. So these three young men, they're bold in their faith, and they boldly turn around and they speak directly to the king. And this is what they say in the next few verses, 16 through 18. O Nebuchadnezzar. We do not need to defend ourselves before you, right? Because if we are thrown into this blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your God or worship the gold gold statue that you have set up. Never going to do it. So what happened with the king? The king and he becomes furious. He is in an all out rage. He demands, turn the furnace up seven times hotter. Now this furnace, it was something that humans could walk into, okay? Uh, it was something where they would they would take mud bricks in and they would heat them up so that they become hard and useful in building. And uh, you would have like a, like a dome on the top with a, of a large hole in the center for the exhaust and the smoke to go out. But that some openings on the lower level for it to feed and to breathe and to create a, a serious fire. So they are actually making it seven times hotter. While they're doing that, the king says, look, bind up these guys. Bind them up by their hands. Bind them up by their feet. And let's get the strongest soldiers we have and let's carry them over and let's throw them in. So you can almost kind of see this. These guys are bound up, right? They can't walk, so they get picked up, and they're carried over to this furnace, and they're kind of like this, like, like one, right, like, one, two, three, into the furnace. This is what I love about the story, though. I love this. The fire was so hot, the fire was so hot that it killed the soldiers as they were throwing in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, you know, this is what I love about it. Here's the reason why I love it, because when you're in a rage, and you're in an all-out, you know, tantrum, You'll never make good decisions. You're like, turn that thing up seven times hotter. kills your best soldiers. That's a bad decision, okay? You're never going to make your best decisions when you're in an all-out rage, right? But then all of a sudden, these three guys, they drop into this fire. And King Nebuchadnezzar, he steps up. And he walks over closer to it. And he looks into the fire and he goes, guys, remind me. Didn't we throw three, three bound men into the fire? All of us commanders around him like, yeah, 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 we did that, we did that. So this is what he says next, verse 25. Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men unbound, walking around in the fire, unharmed, and the fourth looks like a god. That's good news. (coughs) He got that one right. Yep, it is a god. God showed up in the midst. God rallied around them. You know what I love about this? I see them unbound walking around. I threw them into the fire. They're, they're treated like it's a beach. Right? I threw them into this place. Like I was expecting to hear screams and torment and gnashing of teeth. They're in there smiling, shaking hands. There's no six-foot distancing in the midst of a purifying fire, by the way. They're like hugging each other. Right? They're, they're having a good old time inside the fire. So the king yells into the fire and says, boys, come out here. Come out here. They get them out and they all huddle around them. They're them around them because they're, they're wanting to see, like, why, why isn't their clothes burnt? There's not even, there's not even a thread that's burnt there. I, I'm looking at their hair. None of their hair is burning. I'm smelling them. Like they don't even smell like smoke. What is going on here? And the king comes to this conclusion, and he makes this decree in verse 29. He says this, If any people, whatever their race or nation or language, speak a word against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego... They will be torn limb from limb, and their houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. There is no other God who can rescue like this. What? I'm just going to tell you this. Number one, number one, when you're standing up for a cause, it never hurts to have a crazy king on your side. We know he's crazy. He just threw three people into a fire. He'll he'll rip them limb from limb. He's not messing around. You know what I love about this, though? It's this right here, this, this one letter. In King Nebuchadnezzar's mindset, he goes from a small g God to a capital, like he is the God. He just goes there, and his whole heart is, is transformed, and his whole heart starts to change. I mean, look at the last verse of verse 29. I think we got another slide that's going to show us this. The last verse of 29, there is no other God who can rescue you like this. What did he say back in verse 15, though? Back in verse 15, he was saying this, and then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? He goes, he transforms from what God can rescue you from my power to there is no other God who can rescue you like this. So one of the things that you need to know today is this, when you walk through the fires of life, when you walk through your most difficult moments in life, there are other people that are watching. And the others that are watching are looking for, like, the signal of what will your faith be like when you go through a difficult situation? Like, there are some in our congregation who have lost children. What will you be like on the backside of that? There are some, you know, who have lost family members, who have died, and they prayed for them, believing that God would heal them, but they they passed away anyways. What, What will you do when you go through that? What will you do when you lose your job? What will you do, right, when someone offends you? How will you go through these situations in life? People are watching and as they're watching you, look look at this. When you go through the fire, trusting God, keeping your faith in God, others see it and others are saved. So how do you walk through life's fires while maintaining your faith in the God of the impossible? How do you do that? I would suggest one critical thought from Daniel chapter three. Let's just keep this super simple, but yet very profound. Here's, here's the one thing you need to stay focused on. You need an, you need an even if he doesn't kind of faith. See, that's what hit me so hard when I read through Daniel chapter 3 again. It wasn't, it wasn't all the things that they did. It was the fact that they, they, walked into this fiery situation they walked into this uncertain time with this attitude that you know what even if god doesn't save us we're still going to follow him we're still going to be faithful to him nothing's going to stop us it doesn't matter it doesn't matter how this ends it's all about how we started it and we started it with an attitude that god it doesn't matter you do what you're going to do because we're not going to abandon you guys that's where we have to get to if we want to see the god of the impossible move in our lives You have to get to a place like these Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did. You have to get to a place where you're willing to lose it all before you're going to experience the God of the impossible working the miraculous in our lives. Here's the problem, though. The problem is this, that we trust in what we can see, what we can touch, what we can figure out. We trust in those things more than we tend to trust in God. Like if I invited you out to the lake today and I said, look, we're going to go out on the boat. You might be really excited, like, man, okay, cool. Like, I haven't been, out, I haven't been on the lake. I don't have a boat, by the way. But you get on to the lake. So I don't know where we're going to find this experience together. But we get, you get out there, right? You're going to come along. You're going to go. But I guarantee you, in the back of your mind, in the back of your mind, this is what you're doing. When you get out near the lake and you see the boat, you're evaluating the boat. And you're, you're thinking to yourself this, is this boat safe? And then when you get onto the boat... You may not say anything to me, but you're kind of feeling it like, yeah, okay, it's good. Like, that's what you're doing. You're doing that. And if the boat looks shady, and if the boat is, like, taking on water, you're not getting on the boat. Because you can see it. You can touch it. So you'll get on the boat because you can see it and you can touch it, and you're going, okay, this looks safe. I will trust that. Guys, that's a little bit like how we trust God. If I can see it, if I can touch it, then I'll trust it. But God's looking for somebody completely opposite from that. God's looking for somebody who's in the boat, in the middle of the lake, who's willing to step out of the boat, onto the water, and say this. Even if I sink, I'll still love you and follow you. That's what God's looking for. That's the kind of faith. That's that faith that says, even if he doesn't. That even if he doesn't faith is the kind of faith that steps out of the boat and goes about you know, what God's asked him to do. You only do that when you believe that God's got the outcome in his hands. You only, be, you only do that when you believe that the outcome is going to be what's best, because it's going to be God's. You only do that when you believe that the outcome is going to be dictated by God. That's when, you got, that's when you start to see the God of the impossible move. But part of the problem, again, is that we don't have enough margin in our faith. Follow me on this. We don't have enough margin on our, in our faith to have faith that would say, God, e- even if you don't. You see, we want results. We want results from our prayers now. We want God to do what we're, a- what we're asking him to do. Now, we, we aren't naturally in our outward praying in this demanding way, although some people do. Okay? And uh, I, I'm, not a, I'm not a guy who prays that way at all. We don't necessarily just come right out and say we're so demanding, but in our hearts, our faith, like in where it really matters, again, the only thing you can change. We we get to this place where we're like, God, I I want you to move now, and this is the way I want you to do it, and if you don't do it this way, it's not going to be the best. We have no margin for, but even if you don't, I'm still going to love you. That's what we need. we got to have the margin for even if you don't. That's where we need to start the prayer. We start the prayer with, God, you are, you're you're able to do some things, but, man, I'll tell you what, like, even if you don't, I'm still going to love you. And this is what you see in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These guys have a margin in their faith to be able to, like, openly and and boldly say, even if you don't, what was that margin? What did it look like? I'll take you back to verse 16 and 17. In verse 16 and 17, it said this. It says, we do not need to What? Defend ourselves. Now, we're, look, we're going to leave this up for a minute because there's a couple of things in here I want to point out. Our natural instinct is to defend ourselves. When, when you're going into defense mode, when you're walking through life's difficult moments, meaning you're going into self-preservation mode, when you're doing that, you're not in the mode God wants you to be, which is that even if you don't solve the problem, even if the fire consumes me, God, I'm still going to love you. Like, you'll never get there. Because we tend to operate in the, in the, I can defend myself. I can self-preserve me. And guys, until we get out of that, until we come out and we go, look, I can't defend myself. I can't defend. Until you can get to that point where I'm not, my, I'm not the defender. God, you're my defender. When God becomes your defender, you more quickly get to the, but even if you don't save me from this fire, I still love you and follow you with incredible joy. <clears throat> That's number one. Number two is this. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is what? Say the next word with me. Is what? Say it one more time. He's able to save. Let me tell you how we approach God. He will save. He's obligated to save, not he is able to save. That twist of motive in the heart is what now opens a person up to say the very next statement, which is what they said right after this, but even if he doesn't. You see, you you gotta be in the right frame of heart first. I'm not my own defender, you are. God, you're able to save. But it's up to you because you know what's best for me. You know what you're doing through my life, and I don't see it all. So when you create margin in your faith, you're able to get to this place where you're able to say, man, even if you don't, it's okay because I trust you. Even if that door doesn't open, which I think it's the best door to open for my life. I think that's the best job I'm supposed to have, and then it doesn't happen. It's okay. You chose it, you chose it God. So even if you don't, I'm still going to be faithful i believe that, like i don't want to see i don't want to see my mother pass away so but, but god like look in the end she's yours so even if you don't heal i'm still going to love you and follow you or whatever the scenario is that's what god is calling us to that's the kind of people he's calling us to because in the midst of the fire is when you truly start to see what your faith level really is if we don't walk through the fires we never get an opportunity to look into the mirror and truly go, yeah, I am growing in my faith. It's only when you walk through the fires that you're going to see that, and I think that's good news, right? So your, your faith, your faith is no game, like building your faith, living a life like these guys did, where even even if you don't do what I think you ought to, getting to that level of faith, I'm telling you guys, that's what's gonna help you bust through. That's what's gonna help you break through the the fires and the uncertainties of life. That's what's gonna help you overcome. That's what's gonna keep your head screwed on straight. That's what's gonna keep you focused on Jesus in the midst of chaos that's happening all around your life. That's what's gonna help you. So I want you to make this commitment between you and God today. And just simply say this, like God, no matter what, what fire I walk through, I'll trust you, God, for the outcome. No matter what fire, I'm going to trust you for the outcome. In fact, I'd even encourage you to pray this simple prayer with me, even right now. Here's the prayer. Even, God, if you don't save me, I'm still going to trust you. That's the prayer. Even if you don't save me, I'm still going to trust you. Why? Because only Jesus can take you through a fire. Only Jesus can take you through some of life's darkest moments and bring you out on the other side better than you went into them. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego went into the fire, bound up, carried by soldiers, and everyone they could see was their enemy. They all wanted to see them die. That's how they went into the fire. They came out of the fire, walking, unbound, Okay, not smelling like smoke, not singed, by the fire, came out with a king that makes a decree that says, your God is greater than any other God. They came out way better. than they went into the fire. And you might go, that's impossible. How does that happen? Well, the way it happens is there's another in the fire with you. You're never alone. A wicked king could see God in the fire. You know who else could see God in the fire? The three guys that were in the fire. Next time you're walking through life's most difficult scenarios, the fires of life, get your eyes off of the flames and start looking for where Jesus is at because he's there with you in the middle of it all. Let's go to a New Testament principle of it all, right? Peter, okay, Jesus, can I come out of the boat and walk on the water with you? Yes, you can. Gets out of the boat, has his eyes on Jesus, starts walking, gets his eyes on the water and starts what? Sinking. We often, when we're in the fires of life, get our eyes on the fire. And the fire consumes us. The problem consumes us. And then when we're on the back side of it, we say this. God, sheesh, if it wasn't for your grace, I would never have made it through. Praise God for that. I just want you on the front side of it to start walking into it saying this. Whatever this fire is going to do to me, it's going to do to me. Because God, I know this. You are in ultimate, complete control. And in the end, you win if I stay faithful before you. So find Jesus in the flames. Find him in the fires of life. Get close to him. Wrap your arms around him and hold tight to him. Because he's the one who gets you through. Why? Because he's the God who works the impossible, guys. So I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what, what you're struggling with today. But I know this. In this house and at this church, we worship the one who will meet you in the fire. He's not ashamed of you because you're walking in the fire. He'll meet you in the fire. He will love you through the fire. And he'll see you through to a brighter day on the backside of it. If we will run to him and say, even if you don't save me, I'm still going to trust you. So let's stand and let's pray. We're going to pray. We're going to go into a time that we just call a response time. It's really a time where we got a a few worship songs. We're just going to spend some time. These worship songs are completely designed to help you connect with God based on the word that you just heard. I want you to hear some of that coming out in your heart. So let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Something that happened 2,400, 2,600 years ago or so, still speaking to our lives today. The reason is because people had real faith. When we have real faith, there's a legacy. There's a legacy of life that gets passed down to generation to generation. And Lord, I just ask right now in Jesus' name that you would heal you would heal our nation right now. And the fire that we're going through right now. That Lord, you would move in a miraculous way. That Lord, you would comfort those who are in pain. Lord, you would help those who are Maybe not walking through that that pain to to, to understand it, to have empathy and have compassion and to come alongside and together we link arms together and we walk arm in arm, brother and sister. We figure out the solutions, the Christ-centered solutions for our nation. Lord, help us. Help us. We We believe, God, that you and you alone have the authority and the ability to heal this racial divide that's in our nation right now. And Lord, we ask you we beg you, use us. Use each of us as individuals to be a part of a, of a healing process. Because we all need healing, God. All of us. Every one of us. And Lord, for our church right now, in whatever unique individual fire situations they're walking through, God, I just pray that they would find you in the fire. And they would, they would find peace with you in the fire and Although it might feel like it's long-lasting, you know, drawn out. And it's been walking around it like walls. Like walking around, walking around, walking, like getting nowhere. That in the end, God, I pray that they would recognize you are with them in the midst of the uncertainty. In life's most difficult moments. And if we run to you, God, you've got the solutions. So, Lord, I just pray for this congregation that you put peace in their hearts. Fill them with the power of the Holy Spirit. And have us walk in the unity of Christ, in the authority of Christ, and in the love of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.